you would please open your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're beginning in verse 7 and going through verse 12. This is God's Word. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? And how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no or you will be condemned. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Be patient. I'm just not patient. I'm just, I can't help it. I'm just not wired that way. It's, it's just not, it's something I'm not good at. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What is love like? Well, love is first thing listed. 1 Corinthians 13, what's the first thing? Patient. Love is patient. If you're not patient, it's not just a failure of patience, it's a failure to love. Love is of God. And so what we need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and God will manifest His love through us And it'll look like, among other things, patience, perseverance. That is God's character, and he will manifest it in us as we yield ourselves to him. To be filled with the Spirit is not this situation where we are just, you know, passive vessels. Um, Yesterday we... Uh, got some two pitchers out of the refrigerator, both of which had had some iced tea in the bottom for a while. Okay? We're not even sure how long. Um, we entertain a lot, and we sometimes will make tea for our guests, and if there's some left over, we put it in the refrigerator thinking that we might drink it the next day. We generally don't. And so it sits there. And the next time someone's coming, we think, oh, we better make some tea. So we make some tea, and whatever's left over, we just stick in the refrigerator thinking maybe we'll drink it tomorrow. So yesterday, my wife was being a good wife. She's always a good wife, but she was being one yesterday too. And, uh, and she decided, we need to get these pitchers out, and we need to dump out this tea, and we need to wash these pitchers. It, it turns out that the pitchers can't clean themselves. 
okay? They're just these objects, and whatever we put into them is what they're full of. You are not like a pitcher. To be filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you're just like this. And God suddenly fills you, and it's like, oh, now I'm patient. To be filled with the Spirit is to be yielded to the Spirit. It involves your volition. You submit yourself to Him and do what He says. If I say to my dog, don't compare me to a dog. Well, God compares you to a sheep. My dog's more intelligent than most sheep, so um, I'm going to compare you to a dog for a moment. If I say to my dog, Bella, come. Come, Bella, come. And she goes, and just stands there. That's, That's not what I'm looking for. When I say, Bella, come, to be yielded to me is to obey. I say, come, she comes. Then I say, good girl. When God tells us to do something, if our response is, oh, yes, Lord, yes, I'm yours. I just want to be filled with you. Just fill me and have your way. And he says, come. And we say, yes, Lord, yes. I just want to do your will. My great joy is is doing your will. Fill me, fill me. That's not being filled with the Holy Spirit. You and I are not inanimate objects. We are to be yielded to the Lordship of Christ so that our earnest desire is to do His will. And He will cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in us as we surrender to Him and do what He says. Okay, so I'm supposed to be uh, yielded to Him. That means I'm going to surrender to His love and I'm going to let Him love others through me. Yes, So does that mean God may use other people to cultivate patience in my life? Yes. I don't like this. Okay? I want God just to kind of touch me, and then I'll be patient. Okay? And it won't bother me anymore. Do you know that when I first was dating my precious wife, and even, I'm afraid to say, after we were married for a short time, I talked to traffic lights routinely. I mean, you talk about insane behavior. But I would sit there saying, change light. Now, I wasn't thinking that the light was going to hear me and say, oh my goodness, we better change. I was just expressing my frustration at having to do what everybody else has to do And that is wait for the light to change. I was irritated because I wanted to get across the intersection. And this light was making me wait. And I couldn't control it. I got over it. 
I got over it. I not only know that it's stupid, but I know it really doesn't please the Lord. And so you learn to obey by realizing actually not only is it helpful to have some traffic laws and systems in place because of, you know, I mean, I'm a great driver and I'd never do anything stupid, but some of these other people I'm sure are nuts. So we need to have lights. We need to have police. We need to have laws. Not only that, but sitting there at the traffic light is a great time to check your mail. Just kidding. (laughs) Sitting there at the traffic light is a great opportunity to think about the Lord, to talk to him, to praise his name, to quote a verse. Pastor Wood, is that really typical of you? It's what I'm working on, okay? I'm trying to cultivate making better use of that time, knowing that God has my trip to Knoxville timed perfectly. And this light right here, right now, may be sparing me or someone else from an accident. So, this is a good thing. Be patient. We are to be patient, brothers, until the Lord's coming. How long do I have to wait? Until the Lord's coming. That's when everything's going to be made right. That's when it's all going to come together. That is when we will finally be perfect, whole, complete. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? Imagine if... Pastor Pat went down to the garden and put some seeds in the ground and then came back the next day and dug them up to see how they were doing. What kind of crop would he have down there? He wouldn't have a crop. He'd have a bunch of seeds. Okay, well, we'll put them back in the ground. Come back and dig them up tomorrow. No! When you plant something in the ground, you have to wait. And you can't even see what's happening above the ground, but down underground... Good things are happening. Good things are happening. Out of your sight, good things are going on. And those good things are going to yield multiplied blessing. And so after a while, up out of the ground comes the plant. And Pastor Pat says, okay, everybody go down to the garden and harvest it. No, it's not time yet. You got to wait and let that thing grow. How long do we have to wait? Until it's ready. You wait till it's ripe. You wait till it's grown. God is in the process of not only growing us up, but God is in the process of drawing others to himself. He's growing his church, just like he promised. That he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3, we read that in the last days, mockers will come 
mocking and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Everything is just going on like it has from the beginning. And God speaks through Peter and says, actually, they are deliberately forgetting that God has already wiped out life on the planet once, sparing only Noah and his family. And God is going to bring judgment again. Only this time it won't be water, it's going to be fire. And when it happens, there is no neutral ground. You are either saved or lost. Why doesn't he hurry up and come? That's the question in 2 Peter 3. And the answer is God is not slow concerning his promises. Some count slowness. But he is, what's the word? Patient. That's why we're supposed to be patient because we're his and we're supposed to be being made like him. God is patient. And he is patiently giving opportunity for more people to repent because God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance he has before the foundation of the world chosen those who are in Christ Jesus he knows who they are and where they are and how they're going to come to him and when they're going to come to him and he is waiting not willing that any of them should perish and you know what when the last of the elect have come to faith Time's up. Time's up. Oh, well, uh, what if I'm not one of the elect? Then you're not going to really be caring about whether or not you're one of the elect. That's the truth. Okay? Lost people don't sit around and say, well, I'd really, I'd really like to yield my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I'm afraid I may not be one of the elect. That's not, that's not what happens. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You want to be saved? Ask him to save you. Well, I do. I do do want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. Okay, let me be sure you understand what the word saved means. It means a bunch of things, but one of the things it means is you're no longer in charge. You understand? Well, see, I want to be forgiven, but I still want to be able to do my own thing. You know, I mean, I, I got a lot of stuff that I know God doesn't like, and I'm, I'm not ready to give that up. Well, then you don't want to be saved. You just want to be forgiven. That's not the same thing. Well, but I, but I do want to be forgiven. Well, how are you going to be forgiven? Well, I don't know. I was thinking maybe if I did enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff, then God would forgive me. Nope, doesn't work. Well, how do you know? God says it doesn't. Oh. Okay, well, didn't he send Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins? He came, died on the cross in order to pay for the sins of all who receive him. Well, what does it mean to receive him? That means that you're not in charge anymore. <laughs> you keep coming back to that, don't you? Yes. Why do you keep hitting on that point? Because Jesus does. Jesus does. Jesus doesn't say, look, I am Lord. I mean, that's true, but you don't have to receive me as Lord. Just just believe that I died to pay for your sins, and that's enough. Okay? He doesn't offer that. That's not the economy class on the 
flight to heaven. Okay? It's all first class. It's all first class. Why in the world would you think that your plan for your life is better than God's? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just, I know myself really well. No, you don't. If you knew yourself really well, you'd know that that is not a good idea. God in his mercy will bring us to the point of realizing, okay, I keep making mistakes. I keep messing up. I keep doing the wrong thing. I need a savior. Please rescue me. We have folks here at the ranch who've just gone through lifeguard training. All right? Believe it or not, I went through lifeguard training years ago. Now, maybe it was a little different when I took the classes. Um, uh, when, when we took lifeguard training, what we were taught is if a person is drowning, you want to come and talk to them about the fact that they're drowning and, and the fact that um, they're, they're not doing their stroke correctly, and, uh, and you want to give them swimming lessons there in the, in the water. Is, is that the way they teach it now? No. Well, let me think back, because it's been a long time. Oh, 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 that's right. That wasn't how we learned to do it in life-saving training. That was how we learned to do it in swim class. Okay, in lifeguard training, we were taught that you just have to get in there and pull that person to safety. And that sometimes, in order to pull that person to safety, you have to disable that person so that they don't drown you. We learned how to knock a person out if that was what it took in order to get them to shore. I don't think they teach that anymore. I don't know. I haven't taken the training in a long time, but I'll tell you this. You don't get in there and coach them on swimming. If somebody's drowning and you have to go in after them, the goal is to get them out. And you do it. You don't just say, hey, you're okay, you're okay. Just one arm in front of the other, okay? Just do like this. You can, oh, no, that's not good. You need to breathe. I'm just telling you, if a person's drowning, you rescue them. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what we need. We've got to recognize, I can't save myself. I'm drowning here. I keep making a mess of my life. I'm not a pretty good person who's done a pretty good job and just needs a little help from God now and then. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Save me. And you know, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I've never seen a person who was rescued by a lifesaver left in the water. You know what I mean? It's not like, okay, you good now? All right, well, have a good time. Try and be more careful. No, you're brought out. You and I are brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are no longer to live in sin. 
We are to live as his royal subjects, members of his family, eager to do his will. Who's going to be your boss? Jesus. Who do you want to please? Jesus. Who are you going to depend on? Jesus. If you yield your life to him, that is what it means to be filled with his spirit. It means you're eager to do his will, and when he speaks, here's his word, you obey. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. This was written a long time ago. How can he say the Lord's coming is near? Well, two reasons. Number one, God inspired him to say that because Jesus' coming is the next big thing. Okay? The first coming of Messiah was the thing that everybody was waiting on from the Garden of Eden forward. They didn't know it. Okay? They didn't understand exactly how Messiah was come, but God told Eve and Adam that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. God provided a sacrifice there in the garden in order that they might have a covering for sin. God established a sacrificial system, which we see with Cain's brother, Abel, all the way forward, God gave them more and more and more and more instructions about the sacrifice, even brought Abraham to the place where Jesus would die on the cross. And had him offer up his son Isaac. But Isaac, Abraham's miracle son, was spared because God provided a substitute there on the mountain. But that substitute pointed to the substitute. Because God's son would not be spared. He would die there on that mountain. Jesus took our place. And until Jesus came and paid the price and conquered death, everything in human history was waiting for that. It was all waiting for that. Generation after generation after generation after generation. They didn't know how long it was going to be. They didn't know the details. God was giving them more and more and more and more information as they went along. But they didn't know when it was going to happen. And then it happened. And when it did, then some of the prophecy in Daniel made more sense. Because God had actually given them a timeline, but they didn't know. They didn't understand. And when he came unto his own, they didn't receive him because that too had been prophesied. That their eyes would be blind lest they see. And so he was offered as the sacrifice for you and for me. And now, the next thing, he's coming again. He is. So, will it be in my lifetime? I don't know, but I'm glad you mentioned that. Because you see, 
you're going to face God soon. So have you gotten like a message from God that he's, he's coming like in the next five years? No, but I can guarantee you this. A hundred years from now, nobody in this room is going to be waiting for Jesus' return. Because you will have met him. A hundred years from now, you say, well, I don't know. There could be any little children. If you make it past 107, I will personally apologize to you when I do see you. Okay? I'll say, okay, I was wrong about you. You, you, you know, you, you outlived my prediction. But you see, here's the thing. You say, oh, that's a long time. Yeah, what's America's favorite verse? I know the plans that I have for you. Isn't that, isn't that a great verse? It's on plaques, it's on screensavers, it's, it's everywhere. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Give you a future and a hope. If you read the context, they're going to have to wait 70 years. 70 years? That's basically a promise for the next generation. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Do you not care about the next generation? No, I just care about me. Well, then the plan for you is not so good. God's promise is solid. You can absolutely count on it. But let me tell you something. When I was in my teens, I was expecting Jesus to come any day. When I picked up hitchhikers, they got in the passenger seat and there was a bumper sticker on the dashboard that said, if you hear a trumpet blast, grab the wheel, because I'm out of here. Can you picture Pastor Wood, conservative Pastor Wood, milk toast Pastor Wood, having a bumper sticker on his dashboard, much less one that said something like that? I was a wild and crazy guy. You see, I was expecting the Lord anytime. Well, now I'm, I'm going to be 68 this summer. I'm not a teenager anymore, and I don't have a bumper sticker on the dashboard of my car. And I don't pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> but you know what? I am still expecting the return of the Lord any day. Because one of these days, I'm going to see him. And the first 20 years of my life dragged by, okay? It really did. I mean, it was slow. I'm not complaining. I wasn't really complaining then. Though I was looking forward to being 30. That's when you're a real man. I was married at 21. But I was looking forward to being 30. Get some respect. Lo and behold, when I turned 30, I was looking at 40. Okay? 40 is the mountain out there on the horizon. And one day, I woke up and 40 was no longer on the horizon. It was in the rearview mirror. 
That was disorienting. My next thing I had to try and find on the horizon was I'm going to be 65. The bank asked me, when do you plan to retire? We're trying to help you plan for the future. When do you plan to retire? I said, I don't plan to retire. I am full of energy and I want to preach as long as I live and I don't, I don't plan to retire. People in my family live to a ripe old age. By the time I got to 60, my heart was giving out. I didn't even know it. I didn't know why I was tired. My thyroid had been destroyed by my uh, autoimmune system and so I just had no energy and my heart was not pumping sufficient oxygen to the rest of my body and I, I mean, it was terrible and I thought, okay, maybe I will retire. Then I got synthetic thyroid and a new pig valve for my heart. Now I'm full of energy again. I just can't remember where I put my car keys. You know what's happening? Time is going by faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And I'm realizing if Jesus doesn't come in my lifetime, I'm still going to see him real soon. I'm going to see him real soon. And that is Fine. You understand? Aren't you sad about leaving the grandchildren? It's just temporary. As long as my grandchildren love Jesus, I'm going to see them again. And we're all going to be like Jesus. It's going to be wonderful. So, not only do we need to be patient looking forward to the Lord's return, we need to be patient even in the face of suffering, even when it's hard. And he gives examples. The prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, they suffered for their faith. We consider blessed those who have persevered. Stay faithful. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Have you read the book of Job? Have you thought what it would be like to be Job? Yes, sometimes I feel like I'm having a really bad day and I just feel like, yeah, I can relate to Job. No, you can't. Go back and read the book again. Okay? Whatever problems you've got, oh, I've got problems, I've really got problems, you don't know my problems. Read the book of Job. Okay? You and I have got it so good compared to him. And he'd never read the book of Job. You understand? He didn't know how it was all going to turn out. And he didn't know why it was happening. He just knew that God is God. Blessed is the name of the Lord. You and I should learn from what happened in his life. And realize that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. It is because of his compassion and mercy that we are not destroyed. If God gave us what we have earned, the wages of sin is death, and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you ever feel like, I don't deserve this, you're right, you're not in hell. Ah, uh, that's not what I meant. I know. Just trying to give you a little reality therapy. Understand? I don't think you should say that to people who are hurting. Well, 
The only time I say it to people who are hurting is if they start telling me they don't deserve this. I don't deserve the worst day I've ever had. I deserve worse. That's why I always smile when I ask people how they're doing and they say, better than I deserve. And I say, amen. You got that right. We've got it better than we deserve. Do you understand that? Pastor Wood, you may think that's encouraging, but I don't find it encouraging. Well, then change your perspective. The fact of the matter is, God is merciful, and that's why we're alive. God is merciful, that's why he hadn't destroyed us. God is merciful, and that's why he is still patiently giving opportunity for people to repent. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. My dad taught me when I was a little kid that I shouldn't have to say, I promise. Because what does that say about all the times you don't say, I promise? Does that mean you may be lying in those other times? Do you need to say, I promise, about everything? Or can you just develop a reputation for always telling the truth? One of the greatest compliments that I've received was from a former student who left here under very sad circumstances, went out and lived a really wicked life. And when I caught up with him by phone a number of years after he left, I said, how are you doing? He said, well, I still don't have my stuff together, and that wasn't the word he used. And he said, but I know that you never lied to me, and you always loved me. You know what happened with that guy? He OD'd twice, survived both times. He's been in prison made a lot of mistakes. But eventually he came to his senses like the prodigal in the far country. And he thought, what am I doing? The one place where I was really loved was at Wears Valley Ranch. Those people told me the truth. I need to give my life to Christ. And so he did. He did. And he started watching these devotions, and I didn't know it. But he did. He'd tune in on the internet and watch devotions that you guys sit here and listen to. And he began to grow in his faith, and he reached out and contacted us, and we had an opportunity to get together with him for a meal, and now he's supporting the ranch. He's planning on coming to a reunion in the fall. In September, we're planning on having folks here on campus. Former staff, former students, all invited. And you know what? When Miss Lisa told him about it, he said, well, I hope it won't just be a reunion. I hope it'll be a revival. Hallelujah. God saves all who call upon him. 
Develop a reputation for telling the truth. Don't lie. And if you don't ever lie, you don't have to swear. You don't have to promise. You don't have to say, no, 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 really, this time I'm telling you the truth. Don't swear. God says not to do that, or you will be condemned. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Tell the truth to others. Tell the truth to yourself. Walk in the light. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your amazing grace. Thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us when we were utterly lost, when we were drowning, when we were dead in trespasses and sins. Thank you, Lord. Help us, we pray, to walk in the light, to tell the truth, and to patiently look forward to seeing you face to face. We'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.